0: If you have your Bible, if you would, turn with me to Psalm 19, Psalm 19, in the precious Word of God. And I want to uh, begin by reading our text, and then we'll get started this morning. The Bible says in Psalm number 19, in verse number 7 and following, the Bible says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, amen? Amen. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is sure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. And not only does the Bible say it's sweeter than honey, it says it's sweeter than the honeycomb. Verse number 11 says, moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the testimony of song and the praises that we're able to sing and and shout out before your throne this morning. Oh, what a day that will be when we will see you face to face. and We will be as you are. God, we will be able to rejoice and celebrate around your throne and to give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you so richly deserve. God, we ask that you would help us to do that while we live in this earth. God, that we might think the right thoughts. We might say the right words and perform the right actions that would bring you honor and glory. God, I pray that today that you would speak through my lips. And certainly, as the psalmist has said here, even in this passage, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, because you are my strength and my redeemer. God, we give you the praise for how you'll work in the next few moments of time, and we'll be careful to give you the thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This morning, as I said earlier, we're going to kind of begin a new message series entitled Promises. And to be quite honest and transparent with you, this This was kind of born in my heart and in my mind. Back in March, I attended a pastor's meeting down in Mississippi, and some of the themes and topics that were discussed there started uh, kind of uh, germinating in my heart, if you will, and I started thinking about, man, we ought to talk about promises at Battlefield. Who doesn't like promises? I remember when I was a kid, I used to have the promise that every morning during summertime, there would be a little ice cream truck that would come around our little street, and he would be playing that noise. And I knew the ice cream man was outside, but it was a great promise because I would ask him, Are you coming back tomorrow? And he would smile and say, Yes, I'm coming back tomorrow. And so I would do whatever it took to scrounge 15 cents, 20 cents, 25 cents. Back then, you could get a nutty buddy for 15 cents. Woo! Those were the days. But when I think about the promises of God's word, I'm overwhelmed. But listen, when we think about promises across the board, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when you just sit there and say, man, I remember some promises. Even maybe you heard on heard a promise or made a promise yesterday. Well, when we look at what old Merriam-Webster has to say... The word promise actually is a declaration. Notice on the screen, it's a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. Notice it goes on. They state that a promise is a legally binding declaration. You remember I grew up in a time, Trev, come here. I grew up where when a man did this... That was as binding as a legitimate contract. When a man said, I'm going to do something, he did it. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having warm hands this morning. My hands are cold. Listen, a promise, it says a promise is a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of a specified act. In other words... A reason to expect something. If you make a promise to me, I have a reason to expect you're going to do it. If my wife makes a promise to me, I expect that you're going to do it. (laughs) Now, you guys are looking, did she make a promise and break it? Let me ask a question. Who in this room, or, or listening, I can't see your hands, but if you're in this room and you've ever made a promise, raise your hand. Anybody make a promise? No, you didn't make a promise? I'm looking for the ones that don't raise their hand. I never... All right, now here's the truth or there. Who has ever broken a promise? Oh, we got a few people that say, I've never broken a promise. You've never said something and then failed to do it. Thank you, Anthony. Anthony's like, I broke a promise, <laughs> right? I love, let me just tell you, I love big A's honesty. I love you, brother. I love your honesty and your transparency. It's infectious. And so here's the deal. Promises are great if they're kept. If they're not kept, they can be disappointing. And not only sometimes disappointing, sometimes when we break promises, they can be, quite frankly, heartbreaking. Anybody been, anybody ever been sad over someone who said they were going to do something and then they failed to do it and you thought, man, they let me down. They can be heartbreaking. And so this morning, I want us to consider the evidence that clearly concludes A promise, and you see it on the screen, the promise is that God's Word can be trusted. You see, over the next six weeks, I'm going to talk to you about the promise of prayer, the promise of peace, the promise of our security, the promise in Scripture to the church, the promise of Jesus Christ's eventual return. But before we ever get to those promises, you and I have to be agreed on the fact that God's Word can actually be trusted because if I open up this Word and I start to talk to you about the promise of prayer or peace or anything and you don't believe that God's Word is God's Word, then you're like, I don't believe God's Word, so I don't believe your promise. Therefore, you're just in one big circle, Pastor, reasoning with the Bible. And so we have to begin with the promise that God's Word is true. It's been said that a theology that's loose and shaky results in a family that's loose and shaky. that 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 affects me dad's moms it's been said that a theology that's loose and shaky results in a family that's loose and shakily and shaky as your pastor obviously you expect me to tell you that i believe god's word right otherwise you probably wouldn't come to this church You're like, uh, if he doesn't believe it, why am I going to believe it? You would expect me to tell you, and I would with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind and all my strength, I would tell you that I believe that God's word is the best solution for a hurting marriage. It's the best solution for for the ability to transform a wayward child, for mental, emotional, and other problems, for addictions. I believe that God's word has the solution that we need today. You name it. I believe God's Word can encourage us and give us the wisdom that we need to overcome just about anything we might face. I didn't say it would be easy, but I believe that God's Word can do that and much, much more. Listen, as Christians, I want you to know. And if you're here this morning and say, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm just kind of checking this thing out. I want you to know that you can trust God's Word. God's Word is true. It's our authority for life, faith, and practice God's word is inspired, God breathed, it's inerrant, it's incapable of being wrong, it's infallible. It will never ever end, it will endure forever. Oh, this is what I believe about God's word. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to get into God's word and check it out for yourself. See? See? How would I say, hey, Yvonne, I want you to trust what I have to say about God's word. And I hope you do trust what I tell you about God's word as the Lord's servant. However, I want you to do your due diligence as the Bereans did and get into God's Word and search it for yourself. So that you have the confidence and faith in God's Word. Here's the thing: I was I was reading the other day in Jeremiah and Jeremiah chapter one and verse number 10. This is right after God tells Jeremiah that I knew you when you were in your mother's womb and I formed you and I've created you for a purpose. And then in verse number 10, he tells us, he says, Jeremiah, I've got a job for you to do. Congratulations, here's your job. He says, see, I have this day set thee over the nations and over kingdoms. Here's your job, Jeremiah, uh, to root out, to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. Now, if you know the text and the context of this passage, you know that the situation is not good. The children of Israel are given to idolatry, and God is getting ready to kind of pronounce judgment on the children of Israel. But here's here's the catch. God says, I want you to do all this, but how is Jeremiah to do it? You have to actually look in the verse right before verse number 10 to find out what God says to do. In verse number 9, the Bible says, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, notice, notice what he says. He says, behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. In other words, God was telling Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you're going to root up, you're going to tear down, you're going to throw down, my brother. But you're going to do it in one way and one way only. Not because you're great, not because you're smart. You're going to do it with my word. It's my word that you can trust. It's my word that you can rely upon to get the job done. And actually, Jeremiah 23, 19, the Bible goes on and gives us more descriptions about the power of God's word. It says, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock into pieces? And back in Jeremiah 5, 14, the Lord tells Jeremiah that when he speaks his word, God says, when you speak my word, Jeremiah, I will make my word to become as fire. And if you read the rest of the verse in 5.14, he says, And the people will become as wood and be consumed. Listen, God's word is certainly effective for the job in which he has called us to do. It is trustworthy. It is reliable. And from scripture, if you're taking notes, there's a few things that I see in God's word. And this really isn't even the message. This is just some, just some thoughts. For one thing I know is that God's word is inspired. I believe God's word to be God-breathed. It is inspired. In fact, 2 Timothy 3. A lot of you know this passage. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And it goes on in verse 17 and says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly or truly, completely furnished unto all good works. What God is saying in 2 in Timothy through the Apostle Paul is that my word is going to teach you what's right. That's where he talks about doctrine. My word's going to teach you what's right. It's going to teach you what's not right, where it says reproof. And when he says correction, he says my word will teach you how to get right. And when it speaks of instruction and in righteousness, God says my word will actually tell you how to stay right. Oh, it has inspired the word of God. In 2 Peter 1, You have to read, a lot of people go right to verse number 19 and 20 and 21, but you really have to read beginning in verse 16 and following to get really the cool context of everything because Peter is talking about the inspiration of God's word. But notice what he says in verse 16 and following. He says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. He says, I'm not following stories from some make-believe book. He says, notice, he says, when we made known unto you the power, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses. Peter says, we saw it with our own eyes. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Notice verse number 18, Peter says, and this voice which came from heaven, he says, We actually heard it. We actually heard it when we were with him in the Holy Mount. You remember Peter, he's up there on the Mount of Transfiguration and he hears God speaking through his son to his son. And then, verse number 19, notice what it says. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn. And that day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not of an old by the will of man, but by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Listen, I believe with all my heart that God's word is inspired. I also believe with all my heart that God's word is living and it's powerful. Hebrews tells us that. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Listen, God's word is powerful. It is alive. Thank you. I know we're on a carnival hangover. But guys, we ought to be excited that God's word is alive. Did you know that verse actually says that God's word actually is a discerner of your thoughts and of your hearts? It actually knows. It can know what you're thinking. It can know what's inside of your heart. Oh, that's why it's so careful, so important, so critical that what we put into the heart is good. Because as we learned Wednesday night, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so it's incredibly important. The Lord tells us in Isaiah 55, 11, that his word will not return unto him void, but it shall accomplish that which he pleases, and it shall prosper in the thing where he sends it. Jesus told his disciples in John 6, 63, I'm giving you a lot of scripture for a reason right now. He says, it is the spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. The flesh profits nothing, but the words that I speak unto you, Jesus says, they are spirit and they are our life. The psalmist stated in Psalm 119.50, this is my comfort in my affliction for thy word hath quickened me. The word quickened means it has made me alive. You remember when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4? He goes out in the wilderness and the devil is tempting Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 4, he responds to the devil right away, Verse number 4, he said, It's written that men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, here's the conundrum. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but it also tells us that the Word was God. Jesus Christ, the very Word of God, tells the devil, he says, I got news for you. You can tempt me all you want, right? Right? But the Bible says it is written that man shall not, be, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, every word that proceeds out of me. That's power. That's the living word of God. It's full of power and majesty. God's word is pure. It's perfect. It's powerful. I was thinking about it earlier this week, and I had asked you last week to be praying for our weather And I was thinking about the fact how God does things on a different scale than you and I do. You know, we think about it, we we have a certain plane in which we kind of do business on. We kind of rise to the occasion sometimes, and then sometimes we kind of, you know, kind of take a sigh or a deep breath and go, oh, I can relax. But God does things on a different level than you and I do. In fact... In Isaiah chapter 55, just a few verses before he talks about his word accomplishing what it will, he tells us in verses 8 and 9 that his thoughts and his ways are not like our thoughts and ways. In verse number 9 he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Psalm 12, verse 6, the Bible says the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And you say, man, you're throwing all kind of scripture at us. I did it on purpose, and we're going to take a break. I did it on purpose because here's the thing. I could spend all morning, I could literally spend hour upon hour upon hour going through verse after verse after verse after verse, after verse that confirms the trustworthiness, the reliability of Scripture. But there might be some who are listening, there might be some in the room and say, well, guess what? You're using the Bible to try and, use, uh, to try and prove the Bible to me. And I don't believe the Bible, so tell me, how is God's word trustworthy? I'm glad you asked. Because here's the thing. What I know in my short lifespan, yes, Ernie, I am still younger than you. What I know in my short lifespan of nearly 53 years is that we either believe this book or we don't. What I know in my life has been true in our life. Either God's word is directing my life or man's thoughts, man's philosophies, man's ways are dictating my life. Either God's going to direct it or the world's going to dictate it. And so it's like, How am I going to use the scripture to prove to you that God's word is trustworthy if you don't believe scripture or you believe that I would be circular reasoning? And here's the sad thing. Interestingly enough, many people, it's crazy to me. It really is crazy to me. Many people have made their decision and their determinations about scripture based on second and third hand sources. I believe what you said, Yvonne. I believe what you say, Chuck. But I never check it out myself. As if man couldn't lie to them or a teacher or a coworker couldn't lie to them or a neighbor. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that they might lie on purpose. They just might know, not know the truth. You see, Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But if you don't know the truth, how can you communicate truth? So I'm not saying there was any uh, uh, malice in the heart that's trying to communicate something wrong. I just believe that many times people make decisions based on not very good sources. They make it on second and third hand what he or she said instead of getting into it firsthand and investigating God's word themselves, And that's crazy to me. So how can we test the reliability of scripture? Well, inside his article entitled, How Accurate is the Bible? Dr. Ken Boa, president of Reflections Ministry, suggested that we can break down the reliability of the Bible into four subcategories or questions. And he says these subcategories or questions would be to ask about the Bible's authenticity. In other words, is what we have a fair representation of what was first written? Secondly, he says break it down not only authenticity but also into accuracy. What we have is it a fair representation of what actually happened. So we've got authenticity, accuracy, and then he says look at the authority. He says do what is what we have exactly what God wanted us to have. Right, And then the last one would be the accumulation process. How do we know that the right books were put together to form the very Word of God? And so here's what I would suggest to you, that when a person takes time to actually study the biblical manuscripts, the claims made by biblical authors, the outside secular, notice what I just said, the outside secular confirmations on the reliability and trustworthiness of Scripture Oh, listen, the Bible, there's no doubt, the Bible surpasses every, every, every human benchmark with flying colors. It just does. If we were just to consider the quantity, the quality, and the time span of manuscripts alone, the evidence for the Bible being true is overwhelming. And I haven't even talked about the word faith. The Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I haven't, even, I haven't even mentioned faith. I'm just talking about how the world looks at it. So I want to read to you what Dr. Ken Boa's research says. Listen to what he says. He says, In the case of the Old Testament, there are a small number of Hebrew manuscripts because the Jewish scribes ceremonially buried, notice what he says, they buried imperfect, imperfect and worn manuscripts, He goes on, he says, many ancient manuscripts were also lost or destroyed during Israel's turbulent history. Additionally, the Old Testament text was standardized by the Masoretic Jews by the 6th century A.D. And all manuscripts that deviated from the Masoretic texts were eliminated. He goes on, he says, however, the existing Hebrew manuscripts are supplemented, watch this, by the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Septuagint, which is a 3rd century Greek rendition of the Old Testament, the Samaritans' Pentateuch, the Targums, which are ancient paraphrases of the Old Testament, and also supplemented as well by the Talmud, the teaching or commentaries that are related to the Hebrew Scriptures. That's just the Old Testament alone. Now, when we jump into the New Testament, look what he says. He says, the quantity of the New Testament manuscripts watch this word, he says, is unparalleled in ancient literature. He goes on, he says, there are more than 5,600 Greek manuscripts, another 19,000 copies of the manuscripts in the Syriac, Latin, Coptic, Aramaic, and other languages all around the world. In addition to this extraordinary number, there are tens of thousands of citations of the New Testament passages by early church fathers. And so if I was just to stop right there and use secular texts, tests rather, the Bible, the manuscripts, Old Testament, New Testament, is still the most accurate and reliable writing in history. The most accurate and reliable source in history. Look at this reliability chart that I put together so everybody could see. So the secular world would never question the writings of Homer. Homer's Iliad. I've never heard anybody say that what Homer wrote was a lie. I've never heard anybody say what Caesar wrote or Plato or Aristotle or Aristophanes, what they wrote is a lie. Do you ever hear the world commenting on these as lie or fiction? And yet, what you'll notice is the time that they're written, the first copy that was found, and the span between when it was written and when the first manuscript copy was found. Notice Caesar, a thousand years. Today, there are 10 copies of what Caesar wrote available. Now you're following the plink. Plato, 900, you see 1,200 years, we got seven copies. Aristotle, 49, Homer, on and on. You see, Homer, there's a 500-year time span. There's 643 copies of Homer's Iliad manuscript, and I've never, ever heard a teacher, professor, or anybody that is an educated person or uneducated question whether Homer's writings are true. And then look at the evidence at the bottom. If we take the New Testament alone, 35 to 100 A.D., 63 A.D., less than 29 years later, we have fragments of the gospel that are in a museum today over in Manchester, England. I hope to see them. Uh, And notice how many copies of just the New Testament manuscript alone that we have. Over 24,000 copies, and they're still finding manuscripts today. Guys, as, as, as the prosecuting attorney would say, I rest my case. I don't even have to use the Bible to, to prove its reliability and trustworthiness. Do you know? Look at, this, look at this graph. Look at Homer. Scholars have assigned an accuracy and reliability rating to all of these. The one that meets the highest standard, hold on, because I'm going to get there, the one that is the closest to the Bible, the New Testament, is Homer. They give Homer's manuscripts, the 643 manuscripts, they give it an accuracy rating of what they find of 95% accuracy, from manuscript to manuscript to manuscript. You know, little deviations here and there, copies. They give the New Testament Are you ready for it? This is secular scholars. This is not just you and me sitting in a Baptist church talking about God's word. They assign it a 99.5% accuracy and reliability rating. And yet, you go out of this building and there are people all over the place questioning the validity and the reliability and the trustworthiness of God's word. How crazy is that? But if I go back to my Bible, the Bible tells me in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 8, it says that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, warns us and says, beware. He says, hey, believers at Coloss, beware lest any man spoil you. Lest they spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Listen, 2 Corinthians 3, 5 tells me and tells you and tells every believer that our sufficiency is of God. And we have that sufficiency because God loved us and gave us his word. Peter teaches us in 2 Peter 1 and verses 3 and 4 that everything that you and I need for life and godliness is found in him. And if it's found in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the word, guess what? It's found not only in him, but it's found in his word and his exceeding great and precious promises. You ought to read that in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. And if we were to do a big check of Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. But not only is it the longest chapter in the Bible, it literally teaches us about the most important thing for our success in this life. And if you know what Psalm 119 teaches about, Throughout its entire passage, the psalmist is talking to us and teaching us about God's Word. Now back to our text as I wrap up. In Psalm 19, I read to you a passage from verses 7 through 11. Look back at it. Because Psalm 19 is basically a microcosm of Psalm 119. But it has a great deal to say. Look at verse number 7. It says, For the law of the Lord is perfect. That word law is speaking of instruction. It is speaking of God's word. It says it is perfect. That word perfect in the Hebrew means that it is complete. It is whole. And it says it converts the soul. And then it says the testimony or the witness of the Lord is pure. It's reliable. Listen, through the Bible, God dispenses his divine instructions to us. God's word shows us what we're to believe, why we're to believe it, and how to use it in our life. Nothing needs to be added or subtracted. If I look at this verse and this verse alone, I can be confident and sure that I don't need to add anything, I don't need to take anything away. By the way, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 1, he said if anybody comes to you preaching another gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says let him be accursed. Oh guys, we could trust God's word this morning. Just as the Lord is perfect, his word is perfect. It cleans us up. His word cleans us up. In fact, Jesus, the very word of God himself, told his disciples in John 15, 3. Remember, he's talking about being the vine and there are the branches. In John chapter 15 and verse number 3, he says, Now ye are clean. But how does he tell his disciples they're clean? You're clean through the word which I've spoken to you. As spiritual farmers, the only seed that we have to sow is the word of God. And if you read the parable of this sower... Right? You can read the parable of the sower and what you'll find is there's no problem with the, with the farmer and there's no problem with the seed that the farmer was sowing. The problem in that parable was the soil upon which the seed landed. right? And so what we have is trustworthy. When we go sowing, when we tell our friends about Jesus, when we want to share the love of Jesus Christ with people, you can be confident that you are sharing truth with them. Verse 8 says the statutes or principles and guidelines of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. In fact, that word pure means that it's actually clean. Enlightening the eyes. The commandments of the Lord remind us of his authority and speak of a divine mandate or verdict. The verdict, folks, is that God's word is true. The verdict is that God's word is pure. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah fifteen six, Thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Oh, the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105. We could trust it. In verse number nine, the Bible says, the fear, and this is referring to the word of God. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. That word means reliable and righteous altogether. Folks, I don't know what else to say, but to tell you that God's word is complete. It's more than sufficient. It is authoritative in all its truth. Psalm one nineteen one sixty 160 says, Thy word is truth from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments, oh, they endure forever. they are more to be desired. More to be desired, the psalmist says, than gold. Yea, much than fine gold, in verse 10. They're sweeter than honey, and also the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Here's what I want you to be confident with. If we took more time and we broke this passage down way beyond what we even have time to do, if we were to look at the titles of God's Word and the traits that we find in just these few verses, 7, 8, and 9, just three verses of Scripture, Right? If we were to break those titles and traits concerning God's word together, we would find that we are promised that God's word is complete. God's word, the promise we have is that it can be relied upon. Another promise is that it will guide our steps. We're promised that it will abide forever. We're promised that it's all sufficient and authoritative. And so, folks, go away today knowing that it's pure, perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean and all together. The psalmist said, it's true and righteous. The promise that we have from God is that you can take his word into a word, world that rarely trusts anything. Right? We live in a world right now that nobody trusts anybody. You say you're giving them a free carnival. They're like, what's the catch? Right? It's like you hand out a flyer. I was, I was out handing out flyers this week. And I was in a neighborhood, and I came upon a gentleman in the back of his truck, and he and his grandson were were, uh, shoveling mulch, and they were putting mulch out at this house. And uh, I said, man, praise the Lord, you got a nice day to work, and it was nice out. And I was getting the farmer's tan on my arm out there in the sun and everything. And uh, he said, what line of business are you in? (laughs) Well... I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I, 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 I work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> You're like, did you really say that to him? No. <laughs> yes, I work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you. No, <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I said, man, I'm just out here. I said, I'm just out here inviting people to come to our community carnival. He said, carnival? He said, you having a carnival? And he says, you by yourself? I said, well our church, we're putting on a community carnival and everything's free. That shovel stopped. (laughs) It was almost Dave as if he was saying, I don't know about that. And he looks at me and he says, it's free? And I said, yeah, do you? Because this kid that was working with him was obviously late teens, early twenties. I said, do you have any uh, other children or, or relatives that might be interested? He said, absolutely I do. And so I went over to the truck and I handed him a flyer. I said, man, so good to meet you and talk with you a little bit. I said, man, we'd love to have the opportunity to share with you what our ministry is all about. We want to share the love of Christ with people. Do you know he was here yesterday? He was here yesterday. I turn around. I turn around and I'm walking around. I'm, hey, everybody, hey, everybody. I'm walking around. Hey, Beth, who's, who's taking this spot? I'm calling people. I'm trying to get them water, sunscreen, and everything. And I turn around and he's like, hey, pastor. I was like, take me a minute because I am getting a little older, Ernie. And, and I'm like, do I know him? And, and I'm like, oh, hey, I met you the other day. And he says, yeah, he says, I brought my whole family. He says, I drive by that church all the time. The first time anybody ever invited me there. And I said, well, I hope you'll come and be in our worship services. I hope that you'll come and allow us the privilege to serve you and your family. That you might bring your kids, your grandkids, whoever, with you to Battlefield Baptist Church. What an amazing God we serve. I was able to make a contact with him. I was able to share... The, the facility with another family. I know there were other folks that were looking for a church home yesterday, and we got intentional about sharing the opportunity that we have to tell people about Jesus. We had the Gideons passing out New Testament scriptures as people were leaving. They were able to give people copies of God's Word. Listen, it's a small thing, but I want you to know I'm confident that I have the answers that the world needs. It's not Greg. The world needs Jesus. And that's all I have to give them. We can give them some cotton candy and and soda and water. But after that goes away, what else happens? I want to give them Jesus so that one day we can see them in glory. And I want you to know that you can walk out of here being confident of God's word. We have the promise that his word is true. Why not put it to use? You may be here this morning and you say, I hear you. And, and I even hear what you say about secular reliability and everything like that. I'm not sure. Man, if there's anything I can do to make you sure, I beg you to ask me. Don't leave this campus without asking me how you can know that you can know that you could have a home in heaven. Maybe if you're already convinced that God's word's true, but you've never called out upon the name of the Lord, you've never said, Lord, I need to be forgiven of my sins. And I just need to have a relationship with you. and, And I don't know how to do that. But I, in this moment, I'm asking you, I'm begging you to forgive me and to come into my life and to change me from the inside out. Then do it. You don't need me to do that. You simply need to call out upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and thou shalt be saved. Tate was talking about a pivotal verse this morning. When he shared Romans 5:8, God commendeth his love towards us in that he uh, proved his love for us. That's what he's saying. God commendeth his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He proved it. Oh, what more? what more evidence do we need than to say, yes, Lord, I need to be forgiven. I trust you as the Savior of my life. Begin to work a change in my heart. Oh, I pray that if you've never trusted Christ, you'll do it right now. And maybe some of you are sitting here and saying, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I really haven't trusted God's word the way I need to. I pray that God would break your heart and that you would do business with the Lord today to recommit yourself. Hit the reset button and get into God's word and investigate it for yourself. Become more confident than ever that you have the very word that are true and trustworthy and reliable. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.